Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. World War III, Russia, Israel, and final Bible prophecy. What we're seeing right now is unprecedented. And uh, there's a lot of people that, you know, even, even brilliant theologians in times past would shy away from talking about eschatological things, like John Calvin, for example. He said, I will never preach on the book of Revelation or do an expository teaching on it based on the fact that it's too complicated to understand. And there's a lot of preachers that they adapted that same mentality. They shy away from talking about end time events. And they always use the same excuse. They say, Jesus said, no man will know the day or the hour. So we might as well just back off, leave it. Whatever will happen will happen. And, and just live your life. But that's not... That's not the Jesus way of doing things. That's certainly not why God wrote the book of Revelation and wrote all these prophecies through the, the authors, through these guys like John and Ezekiel and all these prophecies pertaining to the end times. He did not write them so that we can just, you know, read them as reading material but never talk about them and that there's ultimately no use for our daily living and, and in our times. Well, that's absolutely not true because... Jesus himself said that no, that every idle word that you speak will be, you'll have to give an account for it in the day, in the day of judgment. So if Jesus said you shouldn't speak idly, there's nothing in this book that is idle speaking. There's nothing written down in this book that is just for material to read. Just like uh, you go to a dentist's office and they put out the Time magazine or Newsweek or whatever it is and you just read it until the doctor will see you or the dentist will see you. That's not why the these books were included in this compilation of 66 book called the Bible. The Bible was the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 16 all scripture all scripture is profitable. And there's not some scripture scripture that's not profitable or not useful or or has no application for our time in which we live. All scripture is profitable for the people of God that they might be thoroughly equipped and ready for every good work. So when you're not, uh, when you're not, uh, you have no understanding of the word, and especially in these days, uh, particularly Bible prophecy and final Bible prophecy, then you end up being a person who's not useful. The Bible says very clearly, the word of God is profitable so that the man or woman of God might be equipped unto every good work. Well, well, if you're not understanding what the word says in uh, uh, concerning the times that we're living in, then it leads me to conclude based on 2 Timothy 3.16 that we are not equipped and not useful for the work that God may be calling us to. And so, like the sons of Issachar in the Old Testament who had an understanding of the times that they were living in, it's high time, like Romans 13. Let me read this actually. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. This is what Paul said, and he said it 2,000 years ago, which was the beginning of the last days. We are in the last minutes of the last days, the church age. Understand, everything God did in the entire Bible is split up by dispensations. There's the there's Old Testament dispensations. The moment Jesus died and rose again, it, it ushered us into a new dispensation, a new era called the church age or the church era. That era spans 
The moment Jesus rose from the dead and he breathed on them to receive the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Ghost fell on them that believed and they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues. That was the inauguration of the church age and it concludes with the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And so we... In, in Romans 13, they're just like a couple of decades after that, and he's already pressing the urgency that we are in the last days, and he wasn't wrong in saying that, because the moment Jesus ascended on high, that began the last days. Now, we are not in the last hour anymore. We're in the last final minutes, and the last conclusive events are taking place right now that are ultimately leading to the next prophetic event in the chronological order of God's timeline, and that is the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. So what does Paul say to prepare? How does he admonish his audience in Rome and instruct them on how they should prepare? This is what he says, and do this. So there's something that we should be doing. It's not just us sitting down. Well, I go to church. I'm a good Christian. You going to church doesn't make you a good Christian. Just like me going to a McDonald's makes me a hamburger. Or me sitting in a garage makes me a car. There's, there is action that has to be tied to your faith. James puts it this way. He says, if you say you have faith but have no works tied to it, then you are pretty much a liar. And the truth is not really in you. If, you. if you say you have faith, you will show me your faith, James says, by your works. He even says, Abraham was not justified by faith alone. Now understand, I'm not saying that we're not justified by faith. We are justified by faith. We are made right in the sight of God by, great, by, in the sight of God by grace through faith. However, however, genuine faith produces genuine action. Genuine faith. John the Apostle says in 1 John chapter 3, he says, little children, don't merely love in word. Love in action and in truth. True faith produces action. So that's why James was saying Abraham was not justified by faith alone. He wasn't saying faith doesn't work anymore. He's saying that Abraham's proof that he had faith was when he took Isaac and put him on the altar and then his faith was working together with his works so that by his works his faith was made perfect or his faith was proven and so Paul is saying do this knowing the time so if you know Jesus said it very clearly in Luke chapter 18 he said nevertheless when the son of man comes when the return of Christ happens when Jesus comes to gather his church back to himself will there indeed Jesus said this in Luke 18 will there indeed be this kind of faith on the earth so Jesus prophesied I hope it's not prophecy I hope it was just you know I hope it was really just a genuine question he was asking because if it's prophecy, it's very discouraging because he said, when the Son of Man comes, will there be this kind of faith on the earth? I want to answer yes. I want to believe that there will be this kind of faith on the earth. I want to believe that there's going to be a people of God, a remnant that's going to rise up with the power of the Holy Ghost that are going to dare to believe God for the impossible, dare to believe God for an accelerated harvest in these last days, dare to believe God for an awakening in the respective regions that they live in. I know that's why God's drawn you to this broadcast because you weren't called 
to just live nine to five and check in at night and, and watch Netflix till you pass out on your couch. There is a purpose that God has on your life. There is a destiny that God has for you. You were born for such a time as this, not to twiddle your thumbs and just read the Bible as reading material until Jesus comes to take you home. No, you were called for such a time as this to put your hand to the plow and be a part of the end time army of God to take in the greatest number of souls that the church has ever seen done. I believe that you're going to be a part of that. I don't want to be a sideline Christian. I don't want to be a cheerleader Christian. I don't want to be someone that's just cheering on the greats. No, I want to I want to enlist and enroll in the army of God to be a Navy SEAL in these end times, to be an instrument, a weapon of righteousness in the hands of God, to go into the highways and byways and knock down the pillars of hell and establish God's work here on the earth before it's eternally too late. Jesus said that we must work while it is yet day because night is indeed coming where nobody will be able to work. You have one life to live, twill soon be past, and only what is done for Christ will last. It's not time to sit down and get lazy and spiritual sloth uh, and, and turn into a spiritual sloth and become apathetic and leave your first love and start flirting and towing around with sin. Now is the time, Paul says, knowing the time that it is high time to awake from our spiritual slumber, awake out of spiritual apathy, awake out of indifference for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day of um, the day of the Lord is what he's saying is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let's repent. Let's put away our old lifestyle. Let's become a new creation and live like a new creation. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and in lust, not in strife and in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no more provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. Luke chapter 21 this is what Jesus says, which Paul pretty much just reiterates it in what I just read. But Luke 21 and 34, Jesus says, but take heed. So he, Luke 21 is uh, much of his, um, his, his end time preaching. Jesus is preaching. You can read in Luke 21, Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13. He talks about the end time events, the things that will precede the, the coming of, 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 of the son. And he finishes off Luke 21 by saying, take heed unto yourselves. Take heed unto yourselves. Watch the way you live. Don't walk as foolish people. Just carried away by every wind. No, no, no. Take charge on the way you live. Lest your hearts be weighed down. Or another translation says, lest your hearts be dulled or become indifferent or your hearts become asleep because of carousing, which is like partying and, and just enjoying life. I'm not saying there's no there's something wrong with enjoying life, but your ultimate goal as a Christian is not to please yourself. Your ultimate goal as a Christian is to please God. And the Bible says that you're to take heed lest your heart be weighed down. The end time temptation is going to be to be uh, that people's hearts will be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, with the cares of this life. 
So he talks about the 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 the, the serious ones that people think are more serious, drinking and and getting drunk and and being on drugs. But then he goes with the cares of this life, being more concerned with getting your child to soccer practice on Sunday than it is than you are in getting your child into church on Sunday. Jesus is saying in the last days there's going to be people so bombarded with the thoughts of this life that this day is going to take them unexpectedly. It's going to come on them unexpectedly. There's far too many Christians that they plan their whole life around their job and around their family instead of around around God and around God's agenda and what God's called them to do. They plan their whole life helping others and, and trying to like, you know, please everybody and they miss out the sole purpose of life, which is to please God. They're caring about so many things that in a million years from now, because whether you know it or not, you're going to be alive in a million years from now. You're either going to be alive in heaven and your your, your eternal bliss with God, or you're going to be alive in hell in an eternal torture with the devil and the fire of hell and the torment of a worm that doesn't die out and a fire that's never quenched and a blackness that could even be felt. So whether you're alive in hell or alive in in heaven you're going to be sentient you're going to be awake you're going to be aware a million years from now as to where you are i don't want to be the guy i don't want to i'm not going to be the guy but i would hate to be the guy that didn't warn you and say in a million years from now everything you're planning everything you're thinking about i'm not saying that you can't you know obviously you have to plan certain things you got to plan what you're going to eat tonight i'm not saying just give up on on being a responsible human being you still have some level of connectivity to this earth we don't just abandon ship however our drive in life our motivation in life our ambition in life our 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 purpose has to be christ driven has to be gospel driven i am a full-time christian enlisted in the army of god ready to hear my marching orders from him before i'm ready to hear any marching orders from anybody else the bible says there's going to be many that are taken away and weighed down and dulled because of the cares of this life thinking about how they can get a nicer house, thinking about how they can get a nicer car, thinking about how, and there's nothing wrong with a nice house and a nice car. I preach that God wants to prosper you. I believe God wants to help you. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if you're waking up in the morning and the first thought on your mind is I need a nicer house, I need a better job, I need a better this. And the last thing on your mind when you go to bed at night is I need a better house, I need a better this, I need a better that. I need to keep up with the Joneses. I need to have the nicest house on the block. I need to have a convertible. I need, if that's what's driving in your mind you are in danger my friend and i'm here to warn you i'm here to wake you up that's the purpose of this broadcast and we're going to get into ukraine russia and israel and we're going to talk about ezekiel 38 and 39 and what significance this means pertaining to end time bible prophecy but before i can do that i need to tell you why i'm doing this it's because we are in a in a strange time but it's not a time that's strange to god or a time that should be strange to a blood-bought born-again christian it's strange to the world it's unprecedented to the world but to us who are the called and to the redeemed remember jesus said when you see these things happening rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and i mean you look in the last two years we went from a global pandemic to now the possibility of a global world war and so jesus said when you see these happens and rumors of these things happening 
then what are you to do? He didn't say just, you know, just keep on waiting. He said, lift up your eyes. Look up for your redemption draws near. What does he mean by look up? He doesn't mean for you to literally just look up and keep your head up. You're going to have neck problems by Tuesday, by next Tuesday. We're not talking about just keeping our head up, hoping the sky splits today. What he was saying by saying lift up your eyes or look up, Jesus was was emphasizing that that is precisely, when you see those things happen, that's precisely the time where you should focus on heaven's agenda, where you should focus on loyalty to the kingdom, where you should seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and and put God first. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Verse 35, for it will come, that day will come on you unexpectedly, it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the whole face of the earth. Watch therefore and pray always so that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So the Bible says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy. Well, I thought I was counted worthy by grace through faith. I thought I was counted worthy for the kingdom of God. If I just confess Jesus is Lord and I just go about my daily business, but at least I go to church Sunday and I say Jesus is my Lord. When the census form comes around by my government, I check that, I check that little box that says Christian. I even sometimes scratch out Christian and put Holy Ghost, blood, bought, redeemed, tongue-talking Christian. You know, that doesn't make you a Christian uh, just because you check that box. The Bible says you're to watch and pray always so that you may be counted worthy to escape, to be counted worthy, to be qualified for the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, once again, I'm going to reiterate it. We are saved by grace through faith, but that faith is going to manifest or express itself in a way where you are watching You're not playing around. You're not flirting with sin. You're not watching pornography on the weekend, Saturday night and Sunday morning. You're asking God for forgiveness and then Monday you're back to it. We're not going to bars and drinking around and having wild parties and we're not going and watching things on Netflix that are polluting our spirits. We're not going around and holding unholy relationships with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. The Bible says we are watching and keeping a firm watch on ourselves And we're praying always. We're in an attitude in the spirit of prayer every single day and every single moment of the day. We're not being caught by the cares of this life. We're we're casting our cares on him in prayer because he cares for us. We're keeping ourselves kingdom-minded. We're keeping ourselves with a pure mindset, a focus. We're not being double-minded. That you may be counted worthy. That you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Men. So now that I've got that down, let's go into Ezekiel 38 and 39. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it just makes it very simple. Sometimes New King James, which I, I, I mostly read out of the New King James Version, but sometimes um, it's just a little harder to understand and the same message is in the New Living Translation. It's just, it's just listed out a little bit better and a little bit more easy for for most people to understand, including myself. So I'm going to read this out of Ezekiel 38. Actually, before I do that, before I do Ezekiel 38, I want to read Ezekiel 37. Because the reason why I'm dealing with Ezekiel 38, and I'm going to make some comparisons to what we're seeing right now in Russia and Ukraine and Israel, is because of what happened or the fulfillment of Ezekiel 37's prophecy. Listen to this, Ezekiel 37. Most 
uh, Bible scholars that deal with eschatology call this the super sign of the Bible. Most people that study serious students of eschatology call Ezekiel 37's fulfillment, and it, Jesus also talks about it. I think it's in Matthew chapter, I'm not sure if it's 24 or another chapter, but they call this the, the super sign of the Bible. What is the super sign of the Bible that points to the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Listen to this. Verse 1, 37 verse 1. The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, God asked Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live, uh, become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you will come back to life and you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as he told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the, bon the bones and skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then God said to me, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath, from the four winds and breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into their bodies. They all came to life and stood up on their feet that they, live, that they might live again. They stood up on their feet, a great army. Verse 11, then God said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. So a lot of times you hear Ezekiel 37 preached from the standpoint that God's going to bring back your dead dream or, you know, God can revive a dead nation spiritually. And I'm not saying that you can apply it to that. Absolutely. I've preached it in that, in that lens and in that angle that God can, if God can revive an actual nation and, and, and revive a nation and, and bring it back into its land over, uh, after 2000 years, there being no action there then obviously God can revive a place spiritually. God can revive a church. God can revive a dream. Obviously, the, the ability of God is displayed in this and that he can supernaturally take dead things and bring them back to life again. That's not debated. But if you want to get the actual, like the, the, what Ezekiel was actually being seen here, the very crux of the message that he's writing down in Ezekiel 37 here is that, listen to this, he said to me, son of man, so this is what all of this means. This is what the, the dry bones coming back to life again. This is what that army standing up. This is what the, the winds coming, um, breathing from the four corners into this, this army and bringing them back to life again really means. This is what he says. He makes it very simple. There's no uh, speculation after this. And he said to me, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. National Israel. The Jewish people. And they've been saying, we've become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Verse 12, therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. 
I'll open your graves of exile. I'll cause you to rise again. And I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, oh my people, you will know that I am the Lord. And I'll put my spirit in you and you will live again. And you will return. Take Special attention to this. You will return to your homeland and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. If you turn to, uh, let me just get it where it is in the Bible. Um, when you see the fig tree. If you turn to Matthew 24 and 32, so it was in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 and 32 Jesus pretty much reiterates what Ezekiel said. Matthew 24 and verse 32. Listen to this. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Assuredly, the generation will by no means pass away until all these take place. I think in Luke's gospel, he says the generation that, take, that sees these things take place will not pass away until everything is fulfilled. What was Jesus referring to when he spoke about the fig tree? He was, anybody in that audience that was listening to Jesus speak at that particular moment understood anytime fig tree is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's always connected to Israel, the nation of Israel and its prosperity and its fruitfulness. The Bible says, learn this parable from the fig tree. And before this, if you study, uh, especially in Luke's account, he talks about the day when the enemies of Israel will embank against Israel and they will knock down its walls and they will knock down its temple and there won't be one stone left upon another. That was fulfilled in 70 AD. They thought he was nuts. They, when he started to prophesy of the desolation of Jerusalem, they thought he was nuts. God would never allow that. This man certainly cannot be the son of God because God would never allow Jerusalem to be desolate again. That happened in 70 AD when the emperor came of Rome came in and knocked down the walls of Jerusalem, knocked down the temple, and not one stone was left upon another. And, uh, and, and that fulfilled Jesus' prophecy. Well, Jesus moves on now in Matthew 24, 32 and says... The fig tree is going to bud again. In reference to national Israel, Israel lost its sovereignty, total sovereignty. For thousands of years, it's just been the people after 70 AD, and then I think in 130 AD, there was another scattering. They call it the diaspora of the Jewish people. They were scattered throughout the four corners of the earth. That's why there's many Jews in New York. A lot of Jews in New York City. I think there's between 6.2 and 6.5 million Jews in New York uh, and mainly in New York City. Then you go to, you go to Poland, you go to all around Europe and, 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 and even in South America and all kinds of places. There's Jews everywhere. They got scattered everywhere. Well, Jesus said, when you see the fig tree bud again, which means the rebirth of national Israel... You can know that the generation that sees that happen will not pass away until everything else I just went through comes to pass. 
Well, when did Israel become a nation again? This is very important. I mention this often on my broadcast because it's important. Because people that preached in 1800s, 1700s, they could say Jesus can come back at any time. But really, he couldn't come back at any time in those days because this one super sign had not been fulfilled. Which Ezekiel says, I'm going to bring my, let me read it again. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will open your graves of exile and I'll cause you to rise again. Isaiah, I think it's in one of the chapters after Isaiah 60. I believe it might be Isaiah 65 or 66. But God prophesies and says, can a nation be born in one day? Surely a nation will be born at once. That there was going to be a day where the nation of Israel would be, oh, would be, would be uh, born I'm not talking about born again spiritually. I'm talking about born as a nation, given back its sovereign rights over that land in Israel, and it would happen in one day. Well, May 14, 1948, after World War II, England that had, uh, had rights over that region, which they used to call Palestine, handed over the rights of Jerusalem and the surrounding regions, part of the land God promised to Abraham, because it's not the totality and the entire land that God had promised to Abraham. There's much more if you actually study how much land God promised to Abraham and his descendants. It's a lot more. But they still have possession now of Jerusalem, and they have possession of surrounding areas, and they have their own sovereign nation. Once again, in one day, May 14, 1948, they were handed back their land. A couple of years later, in the 60s, there was a seven-day war where they tried to take that back. God fought for the people of Israel, and they maintained that land. And ever since they took over that land, that little plot of land that was fruitless, desert, nothing growing, had, had nothing going for it, really. It was, just, it was just dead land. They weren't the major export of fruit and other things throughout the entire world where, you know, you go to a supermarket now and the fruit that comes from Israel is always the nicest fruit and the most luscious fruit. Well, before it wasn't like that. It was just some plot of land. That's why England handed over that land to Israel. You know, they almost, it's almost like they felt bad for what happened in the Holocaust. They, they just gave it back. They, hey, you can have your own land again. They gave it because it was useless land. It didn't do anything. There was nothing there. But then, the moment the Jewish people, since then, there has been a hook placed in the mouths of Jewish people all across the entire world. And God is sovereignly drawing his people back. I read it here. I will bring you back into the land of Israel. Let me read in Ezekiel 34, 11, Another prophecy referring to what I'm talking about. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will search out and find my sheep that had been scattered. I will be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. And I will bring back home, bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers. Yes, I will give them good pasture land and high hills on the high hills of Israel. Then you read in Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43 and verse 5 and 6. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 5. Listen to this. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And I will gather you and your children from east and west, the whole span of the world. I'm going to gather you and your children. I will say to the north and to the south, bring my sons and my daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God. 
That's referring to the Aliyah, which Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the former president or prime minister of Israel, uh, I don't know when it was exactly, I think it was in, within the 2000 period, that he, he declared this new law, not this law, but this incentive program called Aliyah, which is the ascent. Aliyah is the ascent. You know, you read the Psalms as the songs of Aliyah, the songs of ascent. And this, those were psalms that they would sing as they were coming back into Jerusalem. They would sing those songs. Well, Benjamin Netanyahu made this incentive program in the 2000s called, maybe even earlier than that, but called Aliyah, which is an incentive program for Jews scattered across the world that if they come back to Israel, Israel will pay their airfare for their entire family. Israel will give them a plot of land. Israel will give them a, uh, I don't know if it's a one or two year salary, to get them established and settled in Israel, and they have blown a trumpet, and there has been this mass influx of Jewish people coming back into Israel since then, since 1948, but especially in the last 20 years. Let me tell you something. I did a little study on this. There are 6.8 to 7 million Jews in Israel today. Today. 6.3 to 6.5 in New York and in the New York City, uh, in New York, the state, and, uh, and in the eastern seaboard of the United States. Less than 17%, these are important stats, less than 17% of Jews are elsewhere scattered in the world. For the first time since the diaspora in the 70 AD to 130 AD period, there are more Jews in Israel than any other place on earth since that happened. Now, with what's happening in Ukraine, there are, you can read the news. Many Jews are leaving Ukraine because there there's a, a large settlement of, there, of Jews there. They're leaving Ukraine and coming back into Jerusalem. More than the first time in history, there are more Jews in Israel than scattered throughout the entire earth. That, my friend, is the fulfillment of the super sign. That Jesus said, when you see, not only the rebirth of Israel happened, which happened in 1948, but... The regathering of my people back into the Holy Land. You should know that my return is soon, even at the door. And the generation that sees all this take place can know that my, they, they will not pass away until everything takes place. Dr. Mark, Mark Hitchcock, who is a prominent uh, uh, scholar in eschatological study and stuff, he wrote, now that the Jews are back in their land, the hammer of the end time the end times gun has been cocked back and all that remains for God is to pull the trigger and set the whole thing in motion. Now that the Jews are back in their land, the hammer of the end times gun has been cocked back. All that remains is for God to pull the trigger and set the whole thing in motion. So, now that we discussed Ezekiel 37, Let's move on to Ezekiel 38. What's happening? What in the world is happening in Russia? Well, the Bible's not silent on the matter. Now, before I move on to what I'm about to say, I do want to uh, make a disclaimer. I am in no way saying that Vladimir Putin is God that we're going to talk about. I am in no way saying that what's happening right now is Ezekiel 38 taking place. I am in no way stating that. What I am saying, though, is that there are things you can gather from Ezekiel 38 that pinpoint to the motives behind everything that's happening right now. And also, it could be the, 
the beginnings, it could be, I'm not saying it is, and don't put words in my mouth and don't leave this broadcast going around saying, TJ said that Ezekiel 38 is taking place as we speak. That's not what I'm saying. But this could be, very well be, and it's a possibility that this is the beginnings of what the Bible talks about will happen in Ezekiel 38. Let's read it. Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 1. If you haven't had a chance to share this broadcast, to like or comment, uh, please do so. It does help this word out to get out to as much people as possible. We're, at two, we're sitting at 200 now, both on Facebook and YouTube, which is awesome. But let's let's blast the internet with this because the people are, I'm telling you, I, my mentor, Evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, uh, said in one of his broadcasts the other day, he said that... Um, uh, Walmart has a hard time keeping Bibles on their shelves anymore because people are running to buy Bibles. They want to find answers. They want to find solutions or something that can make sense to what's going on. They want, ultimately, they're looking for something called peace in their soul that cannot come any other way. That's why my friend, my brother and sister, if you're watching this right now and these things scare you, Bible prophecy is not meant to scare you. Bible prophecy is meant to prepare you. And so if this is scaring you right now, and if there's a, there's lack of, 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 of peace in your heart, and there's this, this unsettled spirit that you have, that you're worrying and anxious about everything going on and wondering whether you're right with God, now is not a time to play with fire. If there was ever a time to make your decision to follow Jesus Christ, to get right with God, to put sin away from you, to... to, to um, to, to accept Christ into your heart as Lord and Savior and turn your eyes upon Jesus and cause the things of this world to grow strangely dim and set your full gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. It is right now. It is here. It's today. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end of this broadcast in the coming minutes to pray a prayer with me, to invite Jesus into your heart, to, to get saved, to be born again, to settle your account with heaven, to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life so that when that day comes on eternity's morning and God takes roll call, that your name will be called amongst the righteous. Are you ready to meet the Lord? If not, stay tuned. I'm going to give you an invitation at the end of this. Ezekiel 38. Verse 1, this is what the Bible says. This is another message. So interesting, interesting that Ezekiel 37 happens and then Ezekiel 38 is the next prophecy that Ezekiel uh, receives from the Lord. So we see Israel come again as a nation, born again as a nation, receives its sovereignty and then the people of Israel come back into the land of Israel for the first time since 130 AD, 70 AD and then boom, he moves on to this passage, this prophecy that I'm about to read to you. Interesting, the chronology of Ezekiel's writings here. This is another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, turn you and face Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him. Now I'm going to stop there. When the Bible talks about Gog, a lot of people refer to Gog and Magog, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it in the past, but I learned something new recently. So Gog and Magog are not two pieces of land. Magog is the land. Gog is the person. Gog is the leader of the land. Magog is the land. And I'm going to show you what the land is, what specific nation he's referring to geographically, 
um, that we can relate to today. The prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws to lead you out with your whole army. And your horses and charioteers and full armor and a great horde armed with shields and swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you too. With all their weapons, Gomer and all its, and its armies will also join you. Along with the armies of Beth Togarma from the distant north. Pay special attention to that. The Bible says that this, this God leader is going to come from the distant north. Get ready and be prepared. Keep all the armies around you mobilized. Take command of them. A long time from now, you will be called into action. In the distant future, you will swoop down on the land of Israel, which will be enjoying peace after recovering from war and after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. That in itself is incredible because uh, Ezekiel's prophesying that there's going to be a time in the distant future where Israel will be enjoying a time of peace after having recovered from war. Well, we all know the Holocaust was detrimental to the people, the Jewish people, to the heritage of the Jews. I mean, the guy was a demonically possessed man inspired of Satan to kill over 6 million Jews in, 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 from 19... Pretty much 1930s to 1945. And the Bible says that there will be a time after that where Israel will actually enjoy some peace and they will be recovering from a war after its people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel. Well, we know history now, but prophecy, listen to this, prophecy is history written in advance. What happened? World War II happened. The Holocaust happened. 1948, Israel gets their land back, and since then, the people of Israel have come back into the land of Israel, and in the last, you know, 20 years, 20 years, although they've had their, you know, uh, foreign armies that are very, very, very clear in expressing their mission, which is, you know, Iran literally runs uh, PSAs on their main television networks that declare that their mission is to annihilate Israel and the Jews from the earth by 2050. Like, that's not something hidden. They have PSAs where their uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, their, their, their lead supreme leader, uh, expresses their mission, expresses their purpose. And then they also have, I'm not even kidding, in Palestine they have TV ads that show people how to, how to, uh, uh, how to, to kill a Jew from behind with a knife. They train their children that. It's, it's messed up. I don't know if you've known any of, the, any of this, but this all happens. And so, although Israel is surrounded by its army, its enemies still, and they don't have absolute peace, they have had a measure of peace, a measure of peace, uh, since, since coming back in, I mean, if you evaluate it from 1948 till now, they've probably enjoyed I mean, they had the Six-Day War in the 70s. They've had other things happen since then. But there's been this like somewhat measure of peace recently. Um, and then it says, After my people have returned from many lands to the mountains of Israel, which we've been seeing happening, you and your allies, a vast and awesome army, will roll down on them like a storm and cover them like a cloud. 
This is what the sovereign Lord says. At that time, evil thoughts will come into your mind. He's talking to Gog the leader of Magog, and you will devise a wicked scheme and you will say Israel is an unprotected land filled with unwalled villages. I will march against her and destroy these people who live in such confidence. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people. Remember I said Palestine region was totally desolate before. There was nothing happening there, but now it's filled with prosperity. It's filled with people. It's filled with 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 um, um, import-export. There's There's... There, there's economy that's running there. I will go to those formerly desolate cities that are now filled with people who have returned from exile in many nations and I'll capture vast amounts of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and other possessions now. They think the whole world revolves around them. But Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish will ask, do you really think the armies you have gathered can rob them of the silver and gold? Do you think you can drive away their livestock and silver? Seize their goods and carry off plunder. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north. There it is again. And with your vast cavalry and mighty army, you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. And my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. And this is what the sovereign Lord asks. Are you the one I was talking about long ago when I announced through Israel's prophets that in the future I'd bring you against my people? But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When Gog invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over in my jealousy. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking or an earthquake in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down, cliffs will crumble, walls will fall to the earth, and I will summon the sword against you. On all the hills of Israel, says the Lord, your men will turn their swords against each other, and I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed, and I will send torrential rain, hailstorms and fire and burning sulfur. In this way, I will make my greatness and holiness, um, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world, and they will know that I am the Lord. So, let's go through it. Is Russia in the Bible? I titled today, Russia, Israel, and World War III, Final Bible Prophecy. What in the world's going on? Is Russia in the Bible? Yes. In simple, uh, in a simple answer, yes, Russia is in the Bible, and I'm going to explain where. In Ezekiel 38, the Bible says, let me read this part from the New King James because it makes it more clear. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog. We've established Gog is a person, a leader of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. What's very important to know in reading and studying these prophetic, uh, these prophetic scriptures is you need to understand geographical roots and the roots of the nations that now exist on planet Earth. So there is no place called Magog right now. But the Bible talks about God being the prince of Rosh. Geographically, Rosh was located, and you read it in Ezekiel 38, the far, dis- the far north of Israel. 
the far north of Israel. Well, if you take, I wish I had a map to show you, but if you take a map right now, and you so, focus in on Israel, particularly Jerusalem, because it's important to know, all Bible prophecy, Old Testament and New Testament, prophecy revolves around two things. One, it revolves around Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ. Two, prophecy revolves around Jerusalem, because Jerusalem, like Oral Roberts used to say, is a diamond on a velvet couch. It is the centerpiece of prophecy. It is the centerpiece of everything God does on the earth. God loves Jerusalem. God has set his eye on Jerusalem. Jerusalem, you know how I just read in Ezekiel 38, and particularly in verse 12, it says, I will capture vast amounts of plunder for the people are rich with livestock and possessions now. They think, so the prince of Rosh is going to say, they think, referring to the Jews at Jerusalem, they think the whole world revolves around them. Well, the whole world does revolve around Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Lester Sumrall used to write, uh, he wrote a book called Jerusalem, the place where empires fall. And he traces back, historically, every major empire, from the Babylonians to the Egyptians, uh, not the Egyptians, from the Babylonians to the Grecians, to the Medo-Persians, to the Romans, every major empire in history, when it came to fight Jerusalem, not only did they lose that battle over time, but that that empire no longer exists. It's like God eradicates the empire. And he wrote a book documenting exactly how that happened over the years. So Jerusalem is the centerpiece of prophecy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So when the Bible says that this prince of Rosh, which Rosh, if you go through historically, uh, the, 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 the roots of Russia, you can lead it back to Rosh. We're not saying Rosh comes from Russia or anything like that, but geographically where it's located, Russia can be rooted back historically all the way back to that land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. It says that this army is going to come from the far north and they're going to swoop down on you, Jerusalem. Take Jerusalem on a map. Moscow is four degrees off. But north, it's four degrees off the north dial, directly north above Jerusalem. Actually, it's exactly, I wrote it down here, 1,662 miles north of Jerusalem. So when the Bible talks about the distant north and this prince of Rosh rising from the land of Magog, you, you can do the study on your own time, but I already did it. It's referring directly to the nation, the, the boundary of Russia, that uh, the, the, the modern day boundaries of Russia. So is Russia in the Bible? Absolutely. Ezekiel prophesies that there is going to be an aggressive leader. And it's interesting, actually, if you study new, the New Living Translation, it says in verse 4, Given this message, I'm going to turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with your whole army. Well, the USSR fell. The USSR fell in, in, the, in, the, was in the 80s or 90s. But the, 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 the communist regime of Russia, that thing fell decades ago. And I remember I was just listening to Lester Sumrall before this, and he was talking about, this was after the USSR fell, he was talking about this 
about this, about Magog being Russian, all that. Bef at the time where Russia was depleted of resources, where Russia was weak, where Russia didn't have the military power it once enjoyed when it was the Russian Empire. So it's interesting that in verse 4 it says, I'm going to turn you around. It's almost like when the USSR fell, that Russia's dreams collapsed. But the Bible says God actually said, I'm going to turn you back around. You've walked away from that dream, but I'm actually going to turn you back around for my purposes. And I'm going to put hooks in your jaws and I'm going to lead you out. So he's literally going to be steered up and, and influenced by God. And then... As he moves, evil thoughts will come to his mind to devise a wicked scheme against Israel. Now understand this. Ezekiel's prophesying of an aggressive leader that's going to rise from Russia, that's going to dominate his region, and is going to go on a power-hungry trip to resurrect, to resurrect his army, his military power, and gather allies unto him that are going to go to battle against Israel. So how do we relate this to what's going on today with Ukraine and Crimea? Alessandro Sumrall's preaching in the 80s about Crimea. Because if you study, the Bible says, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you with all their weapons, and Gomer and all its armies will join you. Well, where's Gomer? We know where Persia and Ethiopia and Libya are, but where is Gomer? We don't know where Gomer is. If you study the roots of Crimea... It's exactly the geographical location of where Gomer was in that day when Ezekiel, Ezekiel was prophesying. So Crimea, nobody understood what Crimea, nobody knew what Crimea was pre-2014, 15, and 16. But then why is it that in those years, Russia set their scope on Crimea and they were going to invade Crimea, they were going to take possession and, and, and they were going to do everything they're trying to do to Ukraine, to Crimea at that time. Because the Bible says that in the distant future, this leader is going to put a hook. Now, I said it before. I'm not saying Putin is God. I'm not saying what we're seeing happen right now is absolutely what we're reading in Ezekiel 38. I'm just saying it possibly could be. It could be the beginnings of what we're seeing played or what we've read will be played out in Ezekiel 38. The Bible says one of the things this aggressive leader is going to do is he's going to get Gomer to join him. Putin and Russia attempted to take Crimea. And it's actually debated right now as to where, who Crimea belongs to. If you go on Google Maps, there's not even, you don't even see Crimea on top of it. It's, it's just, it's a bunch of Russian names and Russian cities, but it's like almost like an independent region as it is right now. So one of the things that this leader called Gog is going to do is he's going to get Gomer, Crimea, to join him as an ally and Beth Tagarma from the distant north and many others to invade Israel. So who is Gog and Magog? We said it. There's two distinct Gog. Well, first of all, let me, let me, let me clear this up. There's two distinct Gog and Magog wars in the Bible. There's this one, Ezekiel 38, which by the way, the timeline of this, that's why I'm saying this can only be the beginning of that because this exact war is not going to take place until after the rapture of the church. 
and I, I can prove that in many scriptures, but just take my word for it. It's only going to take place after the rapture of the church. Some people think it's going to take place immediately following the rapture of the church. Some people think that it'll take place uh, at the midpoint, like right before the midpoint of the tribulation, the seven years of tribulation, um, after the rapture of the church. But there's two distinct wars. There's one, Ezekiel 38, which is not the Battle of Armageddon, by the way. Those are two separate things. The Battle of Armageddon happens after the seven years of tribulation. The, the distinctive marker between the two is that this battle is Gog, a Russian leader, going after Israel, whereas the Battle of Armageddon is the Antichrist and the false uh, prophet uh, rising up against Christ himself to fight Christ himself. So there's, there's distinctive markers. There's, there's clear distinctions between the two battles. The first, this Gog and Magog, is either at the beginning of the, immediately following the rapture, or preceding the midpoint of the tribulation. The second war of Gog and Magog is found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 11, and that is describing the final battle of all time. Because remember, the battle of Armageddon is not the final battle of all time. The battle of Armageddon happens right after Jesus Christ comes back and he consumes the Antichrist with the splendor of his coming and destroys him by the breath of his mouth. There's a thousand years of Christ ruling and reigning on the earth where there'll be absolute peace. After that thousand years, Satan is released upon the earth for a thousand years. And he gathers an army along with, Revelation 20 says, Gog and Magog. Gog, the leader, and Magog, his army. And they war against Christ himself. That's Revelation 20. This happens after the thousand years of Christ and a thousand years of Satan being released upon the earth. That is the final battle. It is the battle to end all battles that's going to take place. Uh, and then, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So who's Gog and Magog? Gog is the leader. Magog, Magog is the land. Magog is geographically rooted back to the exact boundaries and location of modern Russia. So when, when, will, uh, when will Russia invade Israel? Well, I just said it. It's going to be sometime after the rapture, before the midpoint of the tribulation. And there's going to be, listen to this, Russia's not going out by itself. Russia and Turkey will lead that invasion. Iran will join from the east with Iraq. And you can study this in Ezekiel 38, all those lands that I talked about, they're all uh, rooted in, in these modern, modern places. Sudan and Libya from the south, Germany will rush in from the west, and all the Stan-ish uh, nations, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Afghanistan, all the Stan nations are going to line up against Israel in this battle in Ezekiel 38. There's two things that the Stan nations have in common that they would unite on. One is they have a unified hatred for Israel, uh, and, and there, there's no hiding that. And then two is they're all Islamic nations, which if you study the roots of Ishmael, uh, when Jacob, prof uh, not when Jacob, when Isaac prophesies, sorry, when, when God tells, um, tells Abraham that Ishmael is going to be a wild donkey of a man and always be bugging his brother. Always be pretty much uh, an enemy or an adversary to his brother. Well, you go 
Translate that to today, where you know they all recognize they don't believe that they're children of Isaac. They believe they're children of Ishmael, the Islamic nations, and they are to this day a thorn in the flesh to Israel. I mean, it's like I said before, there's no hiding it. That Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, they call, Iran literally calls U.S. the big Satan and Israel the little Satan. There's no hiding their hatred for Israel. And so you see, these stand nations are going to eventually rise up and try and accomplish what they've always wanted to accomplish, which is to annihilate Israel. So where does Ukraine fit in in all this? Very good question. If you look at the geography of things, well, first of all, there's more than that. Ukraine, you might not know this, Ukraine, here are the practical reasons as to why Ukraine is even on Russia's radar. Ukraine, I just learned this this week, is home to some of the largest energy deposits in the entirety of Europe. It, they actually call it the breadbasket of Europe. There is large amounts of lithium and other energy products in the ground at, in Ukraine. And we all know now that we're transitioning out of gasoline and into electricity and electric cars and electric vehicles, what's the number one what is the number one um, resource that's needed to pump and fuel those things? Lithium, lithium-ion ba batteries. Ukraine has a huge deposit of lithium in its, in its land. So because of that, those are practical reasons as to why Russia has set its, its eyes on Ukraine. But then, if you study, if you understand what the terms of of uh, Russia backing off of Ukraine are, which you can read them. He has th Putin has three terms. One, Ukraine has to modify. This is the only terms and conditions by which Russia is going to back off of Ukraine. The first term and condition is that Ukraine modifies their constitution to state that they will never join the European Union or NATO. Because if they ever join the European Union and NATO, then it. <laughs> Russia would never be able to overtake Ukraine. They would never be able to, uh, because the, the, the European allies would just, would just come in and he wouldn't be able to handle all that. Number two, recognition of certain eastern regions that border Ukraine and the western regions that border Russia, they have to be recognized as independent regions. So that's the second condition. And then number three, and this is important, this is, this is what I'm getting at. The recognition of Russian occupancy of, guess what? Crimea. Because Crimea is like right between Russia and Ukraine. They like share a common area. Crimea is like this little peninsula bordering the Black Sea. And the, the condition, the third condition Russia has that they'll back off, we will go home today, is if you give us Crimea. Why does he need Crimea? Because Russia could never invade Israel unless they have some sort of pathway to get to that side of the Black Sea. And Crimea is blocking them. They need access to that nation so that they can cross over and fulfill what eventually will happen, the battle, the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39, Gog of the land of Magog. So now does it make sense why there's this hysteria around 
And this craze around Russia right now? Why is it in the last 10 years Russia is the center focus? Jerusalem. I mean, for the first time in a long time, Jerusalem is recognized as the capital of the of, of, of Israel before it was Tel Aviv. But when Trump was in power, he recognized Jerusalem as the capital. And then other nations got on board and began to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel for the first time in a long time. And once that happened, it's like there is a countdown to this battle that's taking place. And I repeat, this battle's not going to take place until the church is out in the rapture. So why does this all this affect us? Well, if you understand Bible prophecy, and particularly Rome, Revelation 13. Revelation 13, so why should you care about what's going on? Revelation 13 talks about a one world leader that's going to rise called Antichrist, who's going to have a five-fold agenda. One, he's going to create a one-world military. Two, he's going to create a one-world monetary system. Three, he's going to generate a one-world religion. Four, he's going to have a, a, a one-world government and a one-world political system that is framed. And finally, five, he is going to establish himself as a one-world leader that he's going to demand loyalty and allegiance from the nations of the earth. Well, because of this, that's why we're seeing this massive push towards globalism. That's why we're seeing this massive push towards the unifying of the nations under one political uh, umbrella. That's why we're seeing this massive push away from sovereign national currencies and this introduction of a digital dollar, a universal currency. These things are playing out before our eyes. And so because, because we, uh, we understand Bible prophecy, which is history written in advance, what does this mean for us? Well, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Where's all this headed? Where is all this headed? Revelation, cha uh, 2 Peter, sorry, chapter 3. People are saying, everything's falling apart. Everything's falling apart, my brother and sister. Everything's not falling apart. Everything is falling into place. We are on a countdown to Armageddon. A countdown to the rapture of the church. A countdown to the consummation of the ages. When God's going to bless... You know what? They're all talking about the great reset. There will be a great reset. And the Antichrist ain't going to do it. Second Peter chapter 3. This is when the great reset's going to happen. Verse 9. Let's start with verse, verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or slowness, but he's being patient towards us. Not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth and repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Both the, the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. Therefore, since all, listen to this, since all these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Be diligent, since all these things are going to be dissolved, since all these things are going to pass, whether you like it or not. You should be found, be diligent, set your mind to doing this, to be found holy and spotless without being stained by the pollution of this world. Be ready to meet the Lord. Joel chapter 2 says, I will blow a trumpet in Zion, which is the church in prophecy. I will blow a trumpet in Zion. And I will awaken the people so that they will render their hearts and not their garments. Now's not a time to leave your first love. Now's not a time to, to try the lukewarm life. Now's not a time to just dip your toes in the church but live in the world. Now is a time, if there was ever a time, to plunge deep into the work that God has for you. To, to be diligent. To be found by him spotless and blameless, pure, undefiled. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1, Therefore, since we have these great promises, what manner of lives ought we to live? Keeping ourselves pure from all defilement of spirit and flesh, perfecting ourselves in the fear of God. That's something you don't hear much today, the fear of God. We all love to talk about hyper grace and how, you know, God knows your heart. God knows your heart. But the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it talk, your heart's going to be revealed by what words you speak on a daily basis. And then the Bible says the Lord God is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. Your heart is, what's in your heart will be manifest in what you say and what you do. So you can't give off that excuse, God knows my heart. There's going to be too many people that like Luke 21, Jesus prophesied. They're not going to be found worthy to escape these things that are coming on the earth. They're too caught up with the cares of this life. They're too caught up with the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ. They're too caught up on building their, their, their barns and bigger and brighter here on earth. I'm not here to stay. I'm a pilgrim in the land. That mindset of pilgrimage has has totally fled in the modern day church everybody's trying to establish themselves on this earth everybody's trying to i'm i'm, I'm trying to make it what are you trying to make trying to make some 70 80 90 year lifestyle that's gonna crash after you die your plans perish after you die we're all on level ground in eternity we're all going to have to stand. The Bible says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds that we've done in the flesh. Not for the heart that we had, for the deeds that we've done in the flesh, whether good or bad. I mean, you read, my pastor just preached out of one of the best sermons I've ever heard on the return of Jesus Christ this past weekend. 
Listen to this. Listen to what we're racing towards. Revelation, 13, uh, Revelation 19. Hallelujah. Actually, let me read from verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor belong to, and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He's not talking about an actual prostitute on the corner. He's talking about Babylon. The, the spiritual harlot that's going to deceive the nations in her luxury and her riches to be live your best life now. Get comfortable here and now. Live for the now. YOLO. You only live once. Going to corrupt the governments of this world. Pervert the systems of this world. Babylon is not... We're not talking... It's a spiritual Babylon. It's, it's a, 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 a demonic ploy to bring the nations in bondage. And the Bible says that Babylon will fall. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. You can read that in Revelation 18. But after God deals with Babylon, which is the system of this world, the demonic system of this world, there's going to be a shout of hallelujah in heaven. That's where you and I pray, I, I, me and I pray you will be. I pray that you've made your, right, your life right with God. And if not, you're going to have an opportunity in the coming minutes. But there's going to be a shout in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory, honor and power belong to the Lord. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he's judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. He's avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. You know what that tells you? The destruction God's going to bring to the system of this world is never going to be repaired. The smoke is going to rise up forever and ever. There's constantly going to be a reminder as we look over that God dealt with the enemies of God. God dealt with the enemies of his saints. God dealt with the enemies of those that of, of the martyrs, those that killed and shed the blood of the martyrs. The smoke's going to rise up forever and ever. An eternal defeat and shame and damnation for Babylon and the, and, and the kingdom of darkness. And again, they said again, Hallelujah. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne. And they said, Amen. Hallelujah. So if you don't like people shouting in church, you ain't going to have a good time in heaven. Because heaven's going to be a place full of hallelujahs. Heaven's going to be a place full of amens. Heaven's going to be a thunderous sound coming from it constantly of the saints and the 24 elders and the angels and the myriads of angels and the cherub and the seraphim shouting out hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigns and if you're ready to shout that why don't you shout in the comment section hallelujah praise our God all you his servants and those who fear him both small and great and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship me. But he said to me, see that you don't do that. I'm of your fellow servant 
and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then listen to this. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. Who does that remind you of? His head, on his head were many crowns. Why does he have many crowns? Because he's not the king of one nation. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written on it that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. I used to think that was the blood of Jesus, that he had a robe dipped in his own blood, but it's not. My pastor made it very clear this past weekend. It's actually a reference to Revelation 14, when Jesus will literally tread the wicked in the winepress of God's wrath, that he'll tread on them, and the blood of the wicked will fill the streets up until the horse's bridle, that that robe dipped in blood is just him coming back from war, having dealt with the wicked, having brought, uh, uh, having brought vindication and, justific and, and, and justice for the righteous, and he's going to have a robe dipped in blood. That's why everybody that's worried, Oh, look at what the nations are doing. Look, do you hear what Biden's doing? Do you hear what Trudeau's doing? Oh, do you hear what uh, Putin's doing? Do you hear what Macron's doing? Did you hear what the political parties in this nation are doing? Do you hear what they did in Australia? And they're all panicking, running helter and skelter as if they don't understand what's going to happen, where God is going to vindicate the righteous, where he's going to... He's, gonna, he's a righteous and just God that's going to take action against the wicked. The martyrs in Revelation actually say, how long, O God, until you avenge us? There will be a day of vengeance. Psalm 2 says, the kings of the earth and the, the, the rulers of the earth, they take counsel. They try to make war against the Lord and against his anointed, his church, his saints. But he that sits in the heavens, he laughs, for he knows that their day is coming. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be perplexed or confused. Fuse. There is a day that is coming where the Lord himself will descend with a shout and the church is going to be raptured up, caught up in the earth and we're going to be with him always. And seven years after that, we will come back with him. This is what the word of God says. And his armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen and white and clean, will follow him on white horses. That's you. That's me. We're not on the losing side. It doesn't matter if you have to give your life for the gospel. You're still a winner you're still an overcomer because there is a great day where God is going to set the balance right and a new heaven and a new earth is going to emerge where righteousness justice and mercy reign forever and ever and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that it should strike with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of almighty God and he has a robe on his and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heavens, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our kings. We pray they repent. And if they don't repent, we pray that God takes them out. Especially if they're hindering the progression of the gospel. If they're hindering a nation from receiving the gospel, God has no problem wiping them out. Just like he did for Herod in the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. Just as he did for Bar-Jesus in Acts chapter 13. He has no problem doing it. But even 
Even people that it seems like on this earth, they're not, they, they, they didn't get the judgment due them. There will be a day of judgment. The birds are going to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all peoples, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the throne and all the birds were filled with their flesh hallelujah turn that frown upside down hallelujah if you're on the right side this message should have brought you great courage and hope should have brought you great faith and boldness to stand to not be ashamed when people ask you, are you a Christian? Well, I mean, uh, I have a relationship with God. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm not just any Christian. I'm one of them Christians that speak in tongues. I'm one of them Christians that lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I'm one of them Christians that preaches the gospel and turns people away from sin. I'm one of them Christians that is baptized under fire. I'm one of those Christians that's filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm one of those Christians that's not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now's not a time to cower and complain. Now's a time to rise up in boldness. And as I said before, I'm not saying that Russia is Gog and, 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 and we're seeing Ezekiel 38 played out right now. No, I can't say for sure that it is. It could be the beginnings of that. But I will say for sure that Magog is Russia and Gog will be a leader from Russia, the Prince of Rosh, who will rise up and will fulfill these prophecies. But if I were you, I'd get right with God now in case this is the beginning of that. And even if it wasn't the beginning of that, I'd still get right with God because your life is like a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. And there's no guarantee if you're not in Christ that, uh, that you'll live tomorrow. There's no guarantee that Jesus won't come back right now. He can come back right now. He can literally sound the trumpet and come back right now. There's nothing, the last prophecy that was blocking the return of Christ was the rebirth of national Israel. And we already established that. That, that happened in 1948. And he said, the generation that sees that happen will not pass away until everything else passes. If there was ever a time to be able to lay your head on the pillow at night. I sleep in peace. I'm telling you, there can be, like Psalm 46 says, mountains collapsing. There could be war raged against my nation. There can be waves and roaring of the seas. There can be climate change or whatever they say is happening. They can do anything. I'm still because I'm at peace and I know my God. Do you know that peace? Do you know Jesus, the Prince of Peace? The one who said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That rest that you're looking for is not in alcohol, drugs or pornography or drinking or whatever. That, 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 that peace you're looking for is not in money, it's not in fame, it's not in popularity, it's not even in the fulfillment of your dream. The peace that you have dire need of is only in Jesus. He said, he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven is not in meat and drink and temporal things, but it's in righteousness, joy, and peace. 
in the Holy Ghost? Do you have that peace? If not, I need. I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you're not right with Christ, if you need to get sin out of your life, if you need to repent, if you've backslidden, or maybe it's the first time you've ever heard a message like this and you want to commit your life to Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now and pray it as you mean it because God hears this prayer. The Bible says that whosoever will believe in his heart and confess with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will be saved. You can know that you're saved. You don't have to guess guess on it or you don't have to second guess it. You don't have to question it. You don't have to play... Uh, you don't have to play Russian roulette with your salvation. You can put your head to the pillow tonight and know I'm saved. My name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you today. I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. I believe in you. I believe you've forgiven me. You've washed away my sin. I receive it today. Come live in my heart, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. From today, the old has passed away. Everything becomes new. I will live for you. I will walk with you. I will go where you tell me to go and do what you tell me to do. And I'm never turning back. Never, ever, ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, go to salvationnow.ca, the first link that pops up. I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. I want to hear from you. There's a link at the bottom of that page to a video that I entitled, Four Basic Things You Must Know, or Four Things Every Christian Must Know. It's going to greatly help you and assist you in this new walk with the Lord. God bless you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji, or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.